Welcome to this week's Unheard podcast with me, Aisha Hazarika, and Tim Montgomery. Hello, Tim. Hello. It's been a couple of weeks I since know. our last uh, encounter. You took some workers' rights. <laughs> I did. Some holiday. Not. Doesn't make you feel great to have like labour values <laughs> making your <laughs> life better. One of my favourite um, jokes was um, when Margaret Thatcher died, which, as you can imagine, was a very sad time for me. Um, one Tory MP suggested that a bank holiday be named after her. And someone said, no, I think Mrs. Thatcher would rather a bank holiday was taken away in her honour <laughs> so that the British people could work harder. So um, oh, yes. I know where you're coming from. So um, this week we have got, um, well, really the big thing to talk about, which is not just news, but it is genuinely important, a big moment, is this huge row about Donald Trump's tweets and the fact that he's retweeted Britain first mm. and how Theresa May has responded to it. How did you feel when you, um, when you saw the tweets? It's the first time, you know, I've never warmed to Donald Trump in almost any aspect, but I've always thought he's the head of state, the head of government of our most important ally in the world. And I've always thought it was therefore necessary for us to do something like invite him for a state visit. And this is the first time, you know, he's gone, he's tweeted beyond the limits of acceptability on a number of occasions. This just seems to be in another lower league to actually be retweeting something quite so hateful, quite so, mm. um, maybe I should have, maybe he's jumped the shark many times before and, you know, I, I should have. Uh, worried more at those points but th this does seem to me to be another level and to quite so be confrontational to Theresa May as it was you know I love the Sajid Javid tweet. yeah I that mean was... I, I thought what Sajid tweeted was brilliant absolutely spot and on for those who don't know he basically said you're tweeting propaganda against me and people like me and I'm not going to put up with it yeah for those not... American listeners this is a British Asian Muslim cabinet minister and also, I think it shows the importance of actually why having diverse people at the top of politics really matters. Like when we're having a discussion about Donald Trump and how and his Islamophobia, actually having the authority of a senior Muslim cabinet minister is incredibly important and sums up all the good things about this country. I mean, I, I actually did a sort of tweet saying, you know, gosh, I'm shocked. I tell you I'm shocked because I kind of probably unlike you, because I am from a Muslim background as well, I wasn't shocked that he had done this because I feel that we've been on a sort of continuum for quite mm. a while in terms of his language, the rhetoric that he's done. But I actually feel quite, um, I don't know, I feel a bit, I feel a bit fearful for the fact that, you know, he would think it was okay to think, it, you know, for Britain first. And we, you know, you don't have to be a genius to do a bit of research into Britain first and see what a and he's completely not a, he's not nasty... A genius, so I think we know yeah, that, that's right. true. What a nasty, poisonous mm. um, thing it is. But the question is, what do we think will happen next? I mean, obviously, it's not going to surprise you. I don't think we should be having a, a state visit from mm. Donald Trump. And neither do I, but it also... Britain and America relationship has been important for centuries, well, for decades before this moment, and it will be important for decades afterwards. And, it, you know, a British... Uh, US trade deal matters and it matters for jobs, it matters for prosperity and we can be sort of morally sort of aloof on all of this but actually commercial interests are about jobs and livelihoods and I think you know we have an opportunity 
with this administration to get a trade deal that will create a lot of prosperity for the uh, UK. And that shouldn't be lightly uh, dismissed. And so that's why I've been hesitant up until this moment. But uh, perhaps I should have, you know, taken a different position earlier. But for me, it's now past the point where we can deal with this man. I know. I mean, and in terms of the, the trade deal, look, you know, we've got very different views on, on Brexit. And I mean, I just hope that in our pursuit of a trade deal, which you're absolutely right, we, we do have to get um, a trade deal for, for jobs and we can have a huge argument about, you know, whether Brexit is the right way of, you know, <laughs> securing jobs and prosperity, but that is for another time. <laughs> but one just hopes that we don't, you know, have to lose our moral authority, you know, in pursuit of a, of a trade deal. Mm. And I actually think that Theresa May could do herself, you know, a lot of credit by standing up to him. I think it was right that Downing Street issued that statement um, saying that they, they were kind of shocked by what Donald Trump had said. He obviously retaliated in the grown-up way that we are now accustomed to. I think <laughs> she should be tough with him. I think that optic of them holding hands, you know, you can argue about how that happened, that's incredibly damaging to her. And I think she could really um, stand up for Britain and for herself. And I think she'd have a huge amount of support mm. if she actually um, said to him, do you know what? We're going to put this visit on hold for a while. We'll still continue negotiating with you in, in good faith. We want to do a lot of business. We have no beef with American people. We've got a deep relationship. But you know what? We've also got our standards and our morals. Yeah. Well, one man who has opposed the Trump visit from day one is the former leader of the, the Liberal Democrats, Tim Farron. Uh, someone who agrees with you, um, Aisha, on Brexit. <laughs> um, but he's our guest of the day, um, a guest of this week's uh, podcast. So, Tim Farron, I think you're in Cumbria. Is that, are we hearing you loud and clear? Yeah, you're hearing me. Well, I'm, I'm hearing you loud and clear. I hope you can hear me too. Yes, I'm in, I'm in uh, Cumbria. The sun sets and the, uh, there's a bit of snow on the tops. It's all very beautiful. We had a bit of snow in London today. So I hear. Yeah, unheard of. It was, even, it was on the news. We, we had lots of snowflakes around that they normally call us Remainers. That's right, they do, yes. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I fit in nicely here. <laughs> so, um, Tim, I think I in particular loved um, this uh, speech that uh, you gave. I'm not sure that will do you some favours with some of our listeners. But um, I think a lot of people will know, but some of our listeners around the world might not know that... Um, until recently, you were the Liberal Democrat leader, a leader of Britain's third party, and you're a committed Christian. And during the election, you faced some very um, persistent questioning on your attitudes to issues like homosexuality and abortion. And it wasn't enough for you to have signed up to your party's sort of liberal positions on those issues. The interviewers from the mainstream media again and again repeatedly pressed you on did you regard these issues as a sin? How did it connect with your theology? Mm. And the speech that you gave to a uh, Christian think tank called Theos the other night was reflecting on what I would call an inquisition, really, like a secular inquisition. And what, what, tell, t tell people, for those who haven't heard your or read your speech, what your main argument was, please. Well, look, I think I'm just a, a sort of very, a very minor case study in all this, to be honest with you. But yes, I am a, a committed Christian and I am a liberal and, um, you know, a left of centre uh, liberal uh, at that. And I don't think those things are inconsistent. I think in much of Western society, 
you know, if you are a um, an evangelical Christian, if you think the Bible is uh, something that um, you should follow and uh, you believe in it, uh, you believe it, um, then that's the assumption is that you would be a person of the right, and I'm most definitely not. Um, I'm a person who believes that uh, any free, decent, liberal, plural society has to tolerate and make space for a whole range of different worldviews. Um, it's important not to crush the other worldviews with one dominant one, and it's absolutely true that Christendom has been um, uh, the, uh, I guess, the outworking of uh, the, the church sometimes being that dominant worldview. It isn't at the moment. Um, my case really is that a kind of... Um, intolerant version of secularism um, now rules the roost and that that is very bad for society and that the absence of faith is not neutral in my view but we behave as though it is um, and that uh, whilst you know Christianity isn't neutral either um, all different worldviews um, should have pretty much equal right to access in a sort of free liberal democratic society. You used, I think, an expression that the absence of faith was like a faith in absence, or I think that was a, 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 a term you... Yeah, I mean, I made a, I mean, I made a little bit of a, um, a, a, a challenge to the, to the atheist, really, because I think um, you know, one of the things we as Christians should be, we should be grateful for the rise of you know, uh, Richard Dawkins and others, because it actually stops people being complacent about apologetics and making the case for the uh, Christian faith. But I think what we've had, maybe we've had centuries of lazy... Um, uh, Christ, uh, Christianity, dare, dare I say, um, or lazy churchmanship, um, and there's a bit lazy, lazy atheism now. People just assume um, the, you know, the, 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 the rectitude of, of that case. I just make the point that, you know, atheism is not um, an absence of belief; it is a belief in absence. Uh, it entails a world view. Um, and I guess my my point uh, on that particular issue is that if you believe there is no unifying in, uh, truth, um, then your belief that there's no unifying truth um, must also not be true, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in which case atheism doesn't exist, which I know is a slightly cheeky point. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's important that we, we, have, you know, we have a robust debate. But I think my main issue is really that you know, we, we act in the United Kingdom, and it feels like across you know, much of the rest of you know, the, the, the liberal democratic parts of the world, what we might broadly call the West, we act as though the absence of faith is that neutral position. We decide all our uh, political structures on the basis of an assumption that you know, not having a faith is, is, the, is a basic standpoint, and that having a faith is, is therefore deemed to be you know, eccentric uh, at best um, and tolerable, um, but at worst now increasingly not tolerable. And if it's not legally outlawed, um, it is by what John Stuart Mill referred to as the tyranny of opinion, mm. um, kind of socially outlawed. I, th I think when you first became Liberal Democrat leader, you were interviewed on the Today programme on Radio 4, which is probably Britain's premier sort of current affairs programme. And John Humphreys, the interviewer, really interrogated you about your whether you prayed and things. Yeah, and the, 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 thing the, the idea was that <laughs> it was such a thing that only a... You know, a, a lunatic, or a, that's right. You know, and, and you very, you know, you sort of brought up. I mean, in, we had um, uh, you guys remember, but um, others may, other very youthful people may may not. That um, uh, that's Aisha. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. so very very youthful people. 
Um, James Anderton, who was the you know chief constable of Greater Manchester, I think in the eighties, who was uh, yeah. you know would talk about um, he did not hold back. I remember absolutely, <laughs> but you know absolutely mocked mercilessly and all the rest of it. So, but I, mean, I guess my I, I, I mean one thing that was one of the easiest sets of questions I got, but the the that that anybody, particularly somebody of uh, John Humphrey's sort of age and background should be surprised that a Christian might pray is just barking mad, isn't it? Really. Um, in fact, I did. Um, uh, I can't tell you how it how it ended up because it's not out until Christmas. But um, I did a celebrity mastermind uh, the other week with John Humphrey's in the chair, and of course he he started asking me about this stuff again, as if somehow it was news. But there you go. I suppose. Well, I mean, I'm I'm was brought up as a Muslim. I'm I'm not practicing I, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist but I'm not a, a highly sort of religious person and I do have absolute sympathy with I think the fact that lots of people of, of different faiths do feel quite persecuted at the moment lots of my friends who are Muslim at the moment you know mm. feel terrified to tell anybody at sort of work or they feel they get you know mm. um, quite a lot of stigma so I, I definitely am sympathetic to that I suppose you know I've worked for political leaders Ed, Ed Miliband I think mm. one of the problems is in that being a leader of a political party is one of the worst jobs, one of the best jobs, one of the worst <laughs> jobs in politics as well. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, the media are going to come after you when they sense a weakness or yeah. when they sense something difficult. You know, for Ed, it was always about his brother. You know, people could yeah. we could not get through anything without a question about a bacon sandwich or David <laughs> Miliband. And I suppose with your situation, you know, they yeah. sense that, they, that, you know, here's, you know, let's go for the kill. And, you know, the, the, the press kind of hunt in a, in a pack and, and, you know, that's, that's yeah. their right. It's, you know, we, we have a free and, you know, fierce... Press. I suppose the thing that is is really hard is that, and I don't, I don't want to rake up over the whole thing again. You know, sure. I spoke to a very good friend of mine before I came here today and talked about the, you know, and he'd read your speech. He is um, Catholic and he's gay, and he said that he feels hugely, hugely conflicted over the the whole thing and felt that you were being very honest about how you felt, but at the same time. For him, having a senior person confirm somebody who he really respected that sort of, you know, what he was born into, he didn't choose to be homosexual, he was homosexual, made him feel, you know, quite bad as well. But he felt his own guilt about that. So I think the, the point is, it just goes to show, I think we live in a society where politics and religion do not sit well together. And I still, I think that is still the case Yes, I mean, I think. I mean, first thing. I mean, I didn't. I, I didn't spend an awful lot of time in my in my talk the other night actually talking about me, um, and um, uh, and indeed, you know, about my my experience. And and when I did, I was pretty clear that I don't consider myself a victim, um, and I don't go around feeling in any way bitter or blaming journalists who ask me questions. They're entitled to. And as you know, as I, I remember, um, you know, being uh, my press officer being. Uh, asked by or, or, you know a sympathetic journalist saying well we have to keep asking this because it's just interesting um, he, you know why doesn't he just lie <laughs> and, hmm. um, and um, so the, the so I absolutely get why it's interesting all the rest of it I also get why um, there is a you know people will feel un- uncomfortable um, if I don't just give the easy peasy worldly view on things and um, and I think the the problem is when you when you I mean you you very kindly introduced me as a former leader of the third party I think the problem was for me 
I was the first, uh, you know, liberal leader in history to not even be the leader of the third party. Yeah, um, that's and therefore, yeah, our, yeah. our space. I mean, historically, we are. I think we probably will be again. Probably because the other parties are all bleeding away, um, and we're left with a two-party system, and we'll probably be the one small party that remains um, at any kind of uh, size. But in any event, the um, the reality is that I was scrapping for you know a minute to two minutes of coverage a day. Um, and I was having that minute to two minutes obliterated by people asking me, you know, obscure theological questions, and and so the the the, the ability for me to have a give any kind of thoughtful answer um, is probably limited at the best of times. But especially when you're just desperate to talk about mm. NHS, Brexit, education, and um, and it felt, I suppose, looking and back, proportional like, representation. Well, Don't forget proportional and Lords reform, Lords reform, single transferable vote in multi-member constituencies. <laughs> to be precise, um, and um, those things, you know. But so we couldn't talk about those things, and it was almost like having our main advertising mm. holding vandalised on a daily basis. You couldn't get your message across. But can, I just suppose one of the other things I'd probably note, and you know, we were talking earlier about the Trump row that we're all horrified by at the moment and I suppose one of the things that is interesting about British society now is that our social values and us feeling like we're a progressive country is very very important to people and those kind of social issues people do care about them as much as they do religious issues as well and I think that there is obviously going to be a sort of tension with that but I think for a lot of people LGBTQ rights gender equality, racial equality, all of that kind of stuff is so important, and and, and rightly so. Mm. Um, so I think that's, you know... So I agree with all that. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, as I also said in my, my talk, I didn't accidentally join the Liberals, and I am a Liberal. Um, and so I'm, you know, passionate about equality and passionate about so defending the rights of people with totally different worldviews to me. That includes people who believe something quite different to me in terms of religious faith. Um, and believe that you know I'm wrong about mine and they're right about theirs, or indeed um, people who um, think that any kind of faith viewpoint is is you know is barking mad and uh, pernicious and all the rest of it. I mean you know my you know, my 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 one of my great heroes is um, you know the late great Carl Sagan who believed that religion generally and Christianity in particular was utterly pernicious and you know held us all back. Totally disagree with him, but. Um, uh, I loved him to bits and, and still venerate so much of his work. And um, so I think the the point, I'm, you, you talk about the sort of uh, basket of values, and I definitely identify that. And it's why, you know, when Jacob Rees-Mogg um, talks about the outworking of his faith, he'll get mocked, but no one's surprised. And it plays to, in inverted commas, his constituency, and the people it offends were never going to uh, vote for him anyway. Mm. Um, whereas the peculiarity of... Um, or me, basically, <laughs> of being a centre-left liberal, um, who is also, um, you know, a committed Christian. Um, there's not that many of those these days, but there were. Um, if you remember that, you know, where, where did the liberal movement come from in the 19th century? It came from nonconformists, mostly evangelicals, Quakers, Methodists, and the like, who were the who set up a vanguard seeking freedom for those who um, basically were not part of the established church. But that then led. Um, to the freedom, freedom in terms of workers' rights, in terms of other religious minorities, non-religious minorities, and of course greater freedoms and power for that great, you know, oppressed majority, uh, womankind, and mm. that I think came alongside a an oppressed minority that understood that its 
fighting for its freedom only really made sense if you fight for the freedom of others too. And the danger is we've got to a stage now where we are we, we fight for the liberties of, well, we fight for our own liberties and we don't seem to care too much about others. If, if um, one of our listeners, um, Tim, is tuned in now and they're perhaps a, a Christian of traditional sort of moral views, perhaps on abortion and sexuality, but they're a left-wing person who would sign up with you on Brexit, on higher, more, you know, more progressive taxes, more investment in education, maybe even the single transferable vote. But maybe. they're thinking, should I go into politics? I saw what happened to, to Tim Farrow and I saw those questions. It wasn't just mm. enough for you to sign up to abortion rights and gay equality. People were wanting to probe your theological views. Would, would you say, to, what would you say to that? Person. Well, first of all, I, I'm not leaving politics, and, and it's not the only thing I'm going to talk about. But you know, trying to push back against the tyranny of opinion, as John Stuart Mill called, is is something that I want to seek to do now. Um, and so, my um, uh, one thing I say is, I've got your back, uh, and I will seek to use my experience to try and make it possible for people who are of you know, whose, whose faith is not only cultural, but is actually something that affects their you know, day-to-day world. Did you feel your fellow colleagues, the Nick Cleggs and the Vince Cables and the Norman Lambs, did, did they support you during yes, this? They or? Were, yes, I mean, I, th- I thought they did, but of course the reality is they, they're not like to understand. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a peculiar, it, it appears peculiar if you're not on the inside, and I, and, I, and I get that. And so one of the issues, I don't particularly mean about my colleagues but when it came to journalists asking questions and please this is not this is not a pernicious or a, a pejorative rather um uh, account but i think it's just a statement of how things are there's a level of religious illiteracy mm. um that people don't understand and it's you know in the same way that i don't speak you know spanish terribly well and so i'm going to misunderstand people um and that's just how things are and so the best thing is for me to learn a bit of spanish in the same way it's probably quite a good thing for people who um, existing in a world where religion is a real thing. Um, for what it's worth, in terms of diversity in our country, it's more of a real thing for non-white people in Britain than it is for white people. And mm-hmm. if we want to understand why... Some well, the church in London is growing, and, and it's because the black majority church well, is powering often, it. You know, yeah. we, we as a party have not been that brilliant at diversity, I have to say. And, and amongst the reasons I believe that to be the case is because we haven't understood... Um, Uh, people of faith properly. Um, And uh, I'm not going to make up the statistics, but obviously a significantly greater proportion of non-white British people have an active religious faith than white British people. Um, And if you want to understand why, you know, my political party and perhaps others as well have not been so great at diversity, that's not a bad place to start. But I think one of the things that people do worry about is religion being used. And obviously you haven't done this with your voting record, but others, you know you know a competing hierarchy of rights and beliefs which says actually my right to my religious beliefs yeah. comes above um let's say you know your rights as a woman so roy moore yeah. has just just been discovered will not come as a shock to anybody in america he's co-authored a book which says that actually according if you really take the bible literally women cannot be in positions of leadership it just does not this is, this is the Republican Senate candidate, mm. candidate in Alabama, yeah. And so also, you know, obviously the, the, the enduring abortion um, mm. discussion that goes on. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you've done that because your mm. voting record has always been um, a very progressive voting record. But, you know, I think these are always the, the tensions. Where it's they, they are, but I think we shouldn't get too concerned about that. I think I'll give it, so there's two things to say to that. I think they're both... I hope they're, well, We'll see if you think they're useful or not. But the, the first thing I'd say is that you know, there's, a, there's an old Burke phrase, Edmund Burke phrase, uh, all the laws against the godless have not saved one single soul, which is rather old-fashioned language. Um, but the reality is that not only is it illiberal to force people who are not Christians, for example, to live like Christians, it's also stupid and counterproductive. Um, so, you know, from my point of view, uh, I've never felt that it is right for me to, you know, Im- impose certainly aspects of personal morality um, on other people because, you know, we've all got to make our own choices. And I'm, I'm, that, that's what being a liberal is all about. Having said all that, um, what is to say or who is to say that a person whose worldview is um, based in part on, you know, a book they consider to be holy, has a world that their worldview needs to be left at the door but everybody else's worldview is put together by a, you know, a myriad of different influences. They can take theirs with them. Mm. Um, and that's what I mean, as I said earlier on, by this wrong, I think, assumption that the absence of faith is neutral. It isn't. It's, it's partial and it is you know, more nor less valid than holding a faith. And your worldview is formed by a range of different things. So before, before we let you uh, go back to probably one of the most beautiful constituencies in uh, the United Kingdom and uh, your constituency (laughs) duties you're clearly not giving up politics and um, but just just to finish with there Tim how how big a deal is you've given a speech is this the end of what you're going to be saying about this or is this going to become something about why is this going to be central now to Tim Farron's continuing role in British politics it'll certainly be a thing that I spend an amount of time on I mean I don't think that um you know, first of all, I, mean, I, I love being MP for, as you say, absolutely stunning part of the uh, the world. It's a place where, you know, me and my family are from and live. And so I absolutely love being a, a constituency MP. I've, you know, I've said several times since I stepped down as leader, being leader was a, you know, a privilege and a duty, but being the MP for the Lakes is a privilege and a joy. Mm. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll carry on doing this probably for as long as the people of Westland will have me. Um, the Tories will but, take it back at the next election. Don't who, worry, who knows? Yeah. And the, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we all hold these things temporarily. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, that, that that's certainly a major focus. But and, and I don't want to be one of these former leaders who goes and just, you know, becomes a nuisance for his successor. And so I've taken on a role talking on, you know, rural affairs and, and the north, as well as, you know, continuing to talk on an issue that I'm passionate about, which is the refugee crisis, which is obviously an ongoing, um, you know, massive calamity across the world, but particularly in our region of it. Um, but, yes, religious liberty, me using the platform that I have, you know, been given now to, to you know, talk about matters to do with my faith and faith more generally, um, that is something that I will I'll continue to do. Um, I thought it was right to bide my time, both to be a good team player, within the Lib Dems, and also just to get my head together, really, hmm. um, to do what I did um, this uh, last few days with my Theos lecture. But no, it's not the last you've heard of me talking about those things, and I seek to do a, a fair bit more of it. And Tim, I'm going to be very naughty and squeeze one last question <laughs> in. What do you think about this Brexit divorce settlement? Well, I mean, I think people will feel, um, those who voted to leave will feel this was not what they'd signed up for. Um, I think um, I, I've, I've always, it sounds on the high side to me. Um, uh, I think that the Prime Minister is probably just being very pragmatic and thinking there'll be no progress made um, if there isn't some agreement. But it will cause real consternation, I think, to people who thought they were 
you know, going to have more money um, uh, back in the NHS, etc. by leaving. Um, not only will leaving the EU cost us in terms of um, you know, income to the exchequer because of uh, lowered growth and therefore lowered tax receipts and therefore less money for public services, we're also chucking tens of billions um, into the EU's pot without getting anything for it. And I think that will make quite a few people who are pro-Brexit feel quite betrayed. I'm so desperate to come back on this, but I'm not going to turn this into a Brexit debate. Um, uh, Tim, um, thanks so much for giving us a, a, some of your time. And right. um, religious literacy is one of the... I, I'm very worried about religious literacy. You know, at, at a period in our history when we're very active militarily, diplomatically, aid budgets in parts of the world where religion is so important to people. I think that why, with so many people know not, not knowing the difference between Shia or Sunni, not knowing basic that's things just me. <laughs> about religion. Yeah, if you don't you know, understand the side, um, then that's where terrible mistakes are made. I mean, yeah. And Trump is you know, the extreme example of that, but it's not just that. It's, I think, across the world, the, the fundamental... Uh, the cornerstone of diplomacy is to do everything you can to understand the other guy Um, and that doesn't just include their face but um, I mean in the most general sense but yes Um, and uh, I think the failure to do that um, is you know where conflicts start well well, thanks again uh, Tim very much Uh, thanks Ayesha as always uh, uh, co-hosting this podcast uh, together it's great fun and thank you most of all to you for listening and um if you can, spare a moment, if you enjoy this podcast, go to iTunes or your favourite podcast provider and do rate us and like the podcast. It helps get the podcast up the chart so that more people can uh, see it come pop up on their iTunes or wherever and that, that gets us uh, more listeners. And other uh, unheard podcasts at the moment, a particular one I recommend, we've got Douglas Murray, um, a very powerful documentary on communism's forgotten victims and I really recommend that to you as well. Until next week, goodbye.